this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk about struggling with God. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kenny Embry. We'll discover how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. The last time he was home, Jay got a death threat. It's bad enough to be on the run, but the one out for blood was his brother. And he had a pretty good case. At the very least, Jay was a jerk, but he was also a thief. His brother was no prize. He had made the family miserable. So while he was waiting for his brother to cool off, Jay made a life for himself away from home. But through a series of really bad decisions, most of which weren't Jay's fault, he had to leave fast. Now the only place safe for Jay and his family was back home. And even that wasn't really safe. Remember the guy who wanted to kill him? His brother? He had reached out to his brother trying to calm things down and rebuild some bridges. But he heard nothing. It had been a while, but his brother knew how to hold a grudge. He didn't have any options. He made sure his family was put down for the night and went to be by himself so he could think. In the dark, he could hear someone. Could it be someone chasing him from behind? Maybe. Could it have been someone who knew his brother? Well, that was very possible. He was being chased from both sides. And chances were, this wasn't someone who just happened to stumble on him, nor was it someone who was likely to be very kind. And before he knew what was happening, Jay was in a fight. The story I'm telling is, of course, a story pretty familiar with most of us. Jay is, of course, Jacob, and his brother is Esau, someone Jacob had defrauded at least twice. And the man he was running away from was his father-in-law's house, Laban. And the one Jacob was fighting with was God. I've been a Christian for almost 40 years now, and I've never been entirely sure what's going on in this passage. And I know I'm not the only one. The thing that makes Jacob have to run from Esau is because he stole his dad's blessing. But why couldn't he just take the blessing back? I don't know. Why didn't his mother, who hatched this crazy scheme, get in trouble? I don't know. Why does God suddenly show up and decide to get in a wrestling match? I don't know. Why does he let Jacob win? I don't know. And why did God feel the need to dislocate his leg so he walked forever with a limp? (laughs) I just don't know. Again, there's so much of this story that stays a mystery to me. But one of the things I do know is this is an important point for both Jacob and the entire nation of Israel. It is here Jacob's name changes to Israel. Jacob, which means supplanter. Yeah, we don't use that word very often. Another way to think about that is Jacob the rule breaker. He certainly did that. And in many ways, Laban tricking Jacob was simply Jacob getting a taste of his own medicine. But the new name means to wrestle with God. In other words, Jacob went from a rule breaker to someone who fought with God. Is this a better name? 
I've been thinking over this story for several weeks now, and I'm not exactly sure why. But for some reason, it's just started resonating with me. And I wanted to share with you how it's been helping me in a practical way. Three ways to be exact. And all of them have to do with some questions I have about the story. First of all, why was Jacob fighting? I don't know really. I do know some things about Jacob, although I've got to admit, I don't know much about Jacob. For years, I assumed Jacob ran away from Esau when he was a teenager. But as I've been researching Jacob for a Genesis class, the age that comes up several times is around 70 years old when he leaves Isaac and Rebekah. So the man that was fighting God wasn't young. He had created a bad relationship with his brother. He was a liar and schemer, but he was also someone with a tremendous amount of pressure on his shoulders. When Jacob left his mother and father, he was single. When he came back, he had a large family and something substantial to lose. I remember my dad telling me the way Jacob arranged his family to go back into the land kept those he loved most toward the rear and closest to him. He was choosing who he would sacrifice first in case his brother wasn't excited to see him. So in a real sense, Jacob could have been fighting this man for his life. For all he knew, this could have been someone sent to kill him on the way. He could have been someone who was after his possessions. Or it could have been someone who could have destroyed everything he had. In short, I think at least one reason Jacob fought a stranger was because he just didn't trust those around him. And he had every reason not to. According to the stories we have about him, he just wasn't very trustworthy himself. I know several people, including my father, who believes Jacob was fighting for a blessing. He had gotten himself into a terrible predicament of his own making. You have to believe Jacob knew he was fighting God, and I'm not sure he did. Otherwise, what good would the blessing be? But I suspect we often fight out of desperation as well. I know many who are combative because they don't know what else to do. Whether they lash out at parents or authority figures or God himself, they find themselves in situations oftentimes of their own making and simply lash out about something being unfair or the design of someone who had more control than they did over their lives. Sometimes that's true, and sometimes we just fight because we don't know what else to do. The easy admission is life isn't fair. Some people just accept that fact and move on. But some decide they will take the unfairness of life and fight. I'm generally not that way until it directly affects one of my own. When my children are at risk or if my wife is in danger, I know how to fight pretty well. But unless that is happening, I'm not sure in the wisdom of fighting. The second question I really can't answer is, why did God let Jacob win? 
Many of the stories we have about Jacob don't make him seem very honorable. He steals his brother's right to have a more favorable part of the inheritance. He fools his father, so he is given the blessing meant for his brother Esau. He seems like even as an employee of his father-in-law, he was something of a schemer. He was taking the best animals for himself and giving his father the leftovers. When he has children, he plays favorites, which leads to all kinds of problems in the family. In short, this doesn't seem like a very moral guy, nor a guy who should represent God's people. So why would God let Jacob think he beat him? I think part of that is because God had already promised he would bless him. When Jacob was running from Esau, he had a dream about God at the top of a ladder, promising him that he would receive the promises he had given Isaac and Abraham. But in the next 20 years, it didn't seem like Jacob was being blessed. Yes, he had several children, but not from the woman he loved. He had a lot of material wealth and livestock, but it ended up being a huge problem. He was promised he was being blessed. So why would somebody who was blessed suffer so much? I think we often want the favor of God on our terms and not his. Job didn't understand this either. It's easy to understand the testing of Job when you know the conversation of Job and Satan. But Job didn't know it. Neither do we. It's hard to understand the perspective of God when we aren't God. As a parent, I know why I sometimes have to favor one child above another. I remember for a long time my younger son, Kent, was extremely sensitive to criticism. And there were two simultaneous conversations I had to have. The first was with the other three children to stop picking on their brother because he took it very personally. And the second conversation was with my son, telling him to be less sensitive and understand when a joke is a joke. The three kids didn't think this was fair and pushed back. But Kent didn't think it was fair either. So why would God let Jacob win? Let me say again, I'm not really sure. But I think at least part of that has to do with seeing what was really happening versus what he thought he saw. Did Jacob really overpower God in a wrestling match? (laughs) Well, God wouldn't be any kind of God if a 90-year-old man could best him. The creator of the universe humbled by a man near 100. (laughs) It's also why some believe this isn't really God at all, but a man representing God like an angel. I think either way, it's far easier to believe this is God being merciful. During the fighting, Jacob's hip is thrown out of socket, and he walks with a limp for the rest of his life. If this was his fight with God, he would remember the cost. I suspect our own struggles with God have similar scars, and they would serve the same purpose they did for Jacob. I think God can handle any of our rebellions and struggles, 
but we risk being scarred and bruised for the experience. I'm reminded of a quote from film director and producer Cecil B. DeMille when he was promoting his movie, The Ten Commandments. He said, we cannot break the Ten Commandments. We can only break ourselves against them. I don't know why, but it's always fascinated me that man cannot disobey the physical laws of the universe, like time or gravity, but choose to disobey the moral laws. God, however, can suspend the laws of nature at will, but cannot lie, nor can he be unloving. It's just who he is. The more we try to break ourselves free from the morality of God, we simply find ourselves beating ourselves up against a standard that cannot or will not budge. That says nothing about mercy or grace. Both of those are part and parcel with God. But we cannot openly rebel against the character of God and come out unhurt and unscathed. We will live with the limp as a result. Obedience isn't really for God. It's for us. The last question I can't really answer is, did it change anything? I'm not sure anybody can answer that. Did fighting with God change Esau's mind about killing his brother? The entire reason Rebecca had told Jacob to leave was to give his brother time to calm down after Jacob cheated Esau out of his blessing. The excuse Rebecca gave Isaac for sending Jacob away was to find a wife, but Esau was murderously mad. Yet she believed Esau would forget his anger with time. And she could have been right. 20 years is a long time to sit with anger, and sometimes that means our perspective changes. When Jacob was on his way to Laban's house, he was promised the blessings, and he received them as promised. But in the fight, his name has changed. <laughs> I say that, but for the rest of Genesis, he won't be called Israel, but Jacob. His name change will be repeated a few chapters later, and he's told to go back to the place he saw the ladder leading to God, Bethel. Again, his name is changed to Israel like it had been. But who had changed? I think it's hard to argue Esau changed, or his father-in-law Laban. We aren't told anything about Laban after Jacob leaves. God didn't change, but Jacob did. Years later, after Jacob loses and then regains his son Joseph, he meets Pharaoh. Pharaoh asks him how old he is, and the way he sums up his life is telling. The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my life, and they have not attained the days of the years of my life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. The wrestling with God had almost nothing to do with God, Esau, Laban, or anything else. Before he was born, God told Rebekah the older would serve the younger. That was his plan. Jacob did everything he could to make sure that happened. 
but it was already promised. Could Jacob have lived a life that was easier, more obedient, and still received the promises of God? Yes, I think so. I think God promised he would. But Jacob couldn't trust that promise. And eventually fought with God for something he had been promised and had already planned. So why am I bringing this up? Don't worry, there's not an invitation song. But I do think we sometimes put too much thought and effort into what we think we're accomplishing when God has already promised the outcome. Our struggle with God doesn't often accomplish what we think it might. I also think it's important to remember God works with all of us, even when we aren't doing the right thing. God has worked with sinners (laughs) since the beginning of time. Your actions may remove yourself from God. You may find yourself fighting against God. But God is still waiting to bless you, even when you're lost in the fight. God wants to bless you and remind you of the promises he's already made. I don't know why I exactly need reminding of that, but I do. As for the good thing I'm thinking about, I'm grateful for simple pleasures and simpler times. My semester has been extremely busy, which is why I missed last week's episode. My course load is about double a full-time course load this semester, out of necessity. I'm grateful for the work, but it's important to remember, even when I struggle with God, He's waiting to bless me. I want to thank those who financially support the podcast, like Don Nietzsche, Sean Highfill. Kevin Hansen, George Sanchez, Barbara McElwain, Troublemaker, Ann Hoover, and my parents. Thank you. You make all of this possible. This week, I hope you find reasons to trust more in God. So, until next week, let's be good and do good.